thing in progress. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Mike and Doug podcast again. Doug is back again. Very special trio yeah. here. Goes way back. Logan, what's up, dude? Logan Racky, thanks for coming. Absolutely. Happy to happy to have me uh happy to be on. I'm glad Doug is back as well. Me too. Big, uh, big I'm, Doug guy I'm here, here to talk football. I miss Doug. It's the only thing I know now. <laughs> football is a pretty common theme on the podcast, I'd say. Doug, we've had yeah, a couple of different uh football players and now where you get a perspective of a football coach. So yeah, I have a couple questions because it's just a different aspect of coaching. Yeah, you know what, Doug? Let that shit rip. I, I don't want to. Especially coming from golf, from like their coaching style to football coaching style is very different. Um, That's true. Folk golf. We, yeah. Like, I'm guessing you yell at your players, Logan, right? So I, I mean, so I coach, I guess for some of you guys listening, yeah. I coach at a high school called Desert Mountain in Arizona. Uh, we're pretty good currently, the two seed and 5A in Arizona uh, in our playoffs. So hopefully things go pretty well. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm 23, so I'm on the younger side for our coaches. So I definitely get a unique perspective on kind of have to play player coach just based on age. Um, so our head coach is – uh, you just turned 48 um, and he was like a seven or eight year NFL vet. And he's pretty hard on him. He expects a lot out of him. Um, very disciplined guy comes from a military background. So I, I think there has to be some contrast there. I don't think you can be all discipline all the time. So I'm pretty close with a lot of the guys. So I don't do a ton of yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've gotten pretty upset with him two or three times throughout the year. And I think because they don't yell too often, like when I get upset, like they certainly know like, Hey, what? Yeah. like we need to kick this into the gear. But I'm uh, I'm by no means a, a militant tyrant, um, like I feel like most football coaches are described as. Yeah, I've I've only experienced like one coaching staff, and they're they're really good. I mean, on the when we practice, they have to go. Yeah, just, yeah, and the the crate. I always just hear some random stuff coming out of coach's mouth. It's it's pretty funny, but. I think you have to have – I mean, they don't yell inside when they're in meetings and stuff, but on the practice field or during game day, oh, they yell. Oh, yeah, game day is is wild. I I mean, I, I do believe in the fact that, you know, there are times to yell. I, I think if you're always yelling, it kind of goes against, like, how are they going to know if you're actually mad, if that's just kind of how you are. Um, my dad went to Nebraska. He was a four-eyed swimmer um, when their football team was really good in the 80s and 90s. And they had a coach by the name of Tom Osborne, I would say probably widely considered the best college coach of all time. Um, my dad said he never yelled and he never swore at anybody in like 20 years. And hmm. he played such an aggressive style of football. It was wing tee, down your, down your throat, four yards yeah. in a cloud of dust. And he said he never yelled or swore at any of the players. And my dad had lunch with him one time. Um, he said he'd just kind of come to the meal hall um, with a bunch of the athletes and he'd sit with them and talk. He was a super cool guy. But I don't think – I mean, that obviously worked for him. He's one of the best coaches of all time. But I don't think I would be able to never yell or never swear. I, I yeah. think – I just don't know if that's doable for me. And I think with the younger generation, they don't do very well with the militant style either. So – yeah, it's a it's a nice balance for sure. 
that's something I've seen. Some kids are very, uh, it's not entitled, but like they've never had someone yell at them. And no. Then, and then the first time no. a coach yells at them, they're like in shock. But I mean, you got to remember all those guys like grow up as the dude, like that is the dude in their hometown. They're the kid that gets picked first in dodgeball. They get the ball 40 times a game. Like that's always been the dude. And then you get to college and it's like, oh shit. Like all of these other guys were the dudes at their hometown. And then, yeah, it's just a lot different, especially in college. It's a big culture shock to the guys who like, oh, I'm going to come in and play as a freshman. Like, unless you're God, that's not happening. Yeah, that's something I realize as well. Like freshmen pretty much don't play unless you're a backup and then just people get injured. There's another thing. It's like, especially like, I guess, I don't know if high school is the same, but in college, like some freshmen come the day before fall camp. So they have four weeks to get ready for a first game that they've never seen any plays or anything. Nope, never going to work. And I was just like, like I look at them, I'm like, oh, they got a lot to learn, and then they like don't end up playing until the next year. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely. I'm sure it happens more so at other schools than ODU, but there's definitely. I think there are a few of our guys on our high school team will probably graduate early from the fall semester. Yeah, um, and then go straight to wherever they decide to go. Probably starting in the winter semester, just so they can kind of get a spring camp under their belts. Mm-hmm. Um. That one I see a little bit more common now, um, but we'll see. I mean, you're definitely right. You can't just show up and expect to learn. Yeah, we are. It's so so much more complex in college. Yeah, it is. And then we're losing 24 players this fall. Jesus. Just graduating. Yeah. So I expect to have a couple. I already know one kid that's coming in the spring, like coming early from high school, and I'm sure there's going to be more. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be done more and more, especially with NIL and yeah. how the transfer portal's been tinkered with. I, I definitely think it'll start happening more than it has been. Mm-hmm. Mike, do you have any input? For yeah, point? I was going to say what I think is interesting um, that made me think of, Logan, when you said, like, every dude, like, every person, you know, growing up, like, they're the dude, right? Like, they're the best in their area. Like, they're the best of the best. And... I noticed that in golf too, like when, and Doug, you probably noticed this too. Yeah. No, no. Like everyone. Yeah. Cause like when you junior golf for like one part has like, it's, you know, tears and calls, whatever. But like, once you get to college, it's funny. Like you realize, okay, like nothing you did in high school, like matters now. Like no one cares. Like literally no one cares who you are. Like no one cares if like, it doesn't really matter. Like anything you did in the past, like, of course, maybe, you won the u.s amateur or something crazy like like huge then like yeah people will care but like aside from that no one really cares and then as i've seen like people progress to like the pros and our buddies that go on to like play like q schools and like mini tour stuff it's like oh like i guess this shit in college like didn't really matter either like it matters obviously practicing and playing and performing and getting better but it doesn't matter in the sense like your ego like whether you perform like that well or not like from that perspective doesn't really matter. I feel like it's just kind of interesting to me. I don't know. Like, I mean, you could be Charlie Woods, but if you show up to college and you suck, I mean, who really gives a shit? 
Right. Yeah. It's just like it's, Charlie Woods is going to show up saying, "Oh, I'm fucking Charlie Woods. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want." But yeah, it doesn't really work like that when you got other guys who are I don't I don't want to say just as good, but other guys who could fill your role in a in you know a need be situation case scenario. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just it's a lot different. They you're all of those good athletes that get to college, like a lot of them are, you know, irreplaceable in high school. They're getting 30 touches a game or they're your, you know, best golfer. You need them to shoot at, you know, sub 70. Then you get to college and it's like, oh, the drop off is oh, maybe two shots. Maybe we can make that up somewhere. Or we have another kid who just ran a four, four, like all of a sudden they become replaceable and ego wise. They just, a lot of people don't handle that very well. Right. Yeah. And I guess from my perspective, I guess I just wish I would have, and I, I just wish I would have realized like how long of like a journey it is where like when if you're 17, 18, like you don't really want to like, there's no point in getting like too upset or like too excited. Like it's just, if it's something you want to pursue, like as a career, like speaking of like professionally, obviously if you're just enjoying it, there's nothing wrong with enjoying it, whatever. But if it's something you want to do like for a career, like professional football or whatever, like I wish I would have realized like it's, it's such a long journey that there's really no point in like beating yourself up like that badly all the time, you know? No, you're a hundred percent right. Like, I, and I think it's a lot different when you're 17 and 18 saying the long, like bigger picture is obviously incredibly difficult just yeah. because of how nearsighted life is when you're that age. Sure. Of course. But like, we're, like we have a few kids that'll go to college and they will be like they have been the dude throughout high school and they'll get it. They're going to get to college. And I think it'll be a, an interesting awakening to have to sit for at least a year, maybe, you know, red shirt as a freshman and know you won't play and you lift every day trying to put on 30 pounds. And it's just the long game is, is what everybody is playing when you get to college, but none of the kids really see it because they're 18 years old. They want to go have fun and, and do what they love. And it's just a lot different. It's, it's, it's a culture shock for sure. Yeah. That's one thing I've uh, seen is all the freshmen have just put on weight. And oh, I guess yeah. that's that's the goal of the the strength people. Because I was like thinking, like imagine coming from high school. Like I don't know how their lifting schedule is or how hard they go. But in college, they come like spring. They lift every day just to get big. But I don't know. how How is it in high school? So our high school is a little bit different. Like we have a strength and conditioning coach that's pretty good. She's trained some NFL guys in the past. Um, and our, you know, I would say most of our lifts are kind of based on what our coach did while he was in the NFL. Obviously, there have been some technological advancements and understanding of the body from back in the 80s and 90s. But he, I mean, I, I would say our strength and conditioning is pretty rigorous for high school. Um, through fall camp, we're there. I want to say four days a week in season. We lift twice a week. Um, Arizona football is year round. So like even in the spring, they're there more than twice a week kind of doing stuff. Um, I think all the football players take a, a lift class as well. Um, so they will lift in season in that as well. It's just ours is a little bit more rigorous than most. Um, and I came from a high school that was very similar. Um, but nothing when I, when I got to college, um, I kind of saw what that regimen was. Um, it's different. <laughs> it's yeah, different it for sure. You lift every day, whether it be 6am group or 730 yeah. group. you're, you're in one of the groups and you're going, it's not a choice. Yeah. And if you, if you miss it, it'll come late. You have dawn patrol and that's at 530 runs. 
Oh yeah, that's how it goes. We we had a we had well, so I I was a volunteer assistant on uh, UMD's team when I was in college, and we had a freshman kicker who all he did, like I swear to God, his regimen was all lower body. He squat front squatted every day, and his legs were just dead. And one day he's like, God damn, like he just couldn't do it. And he was a freshman; he was probably like 170 or 80 pounds by the end of the year. He was like 210. It was crazy. Yeah, um, but one day he just like couldn't get out of bed. He said so. He showed up, showed up a bit late, and uh, yeah, he was he was running the next day, and uh, he had to show up for the six a.m. group. Uh, he usually lifted at seven thirty, so he had to run hundred yard sprints from six to seven thirty, and then at seven thirty he just started lifting. I was like, that is the regimen is just a lot different in college, no wow. doubt. Yeah the uh, the worst thing I've seen is they. Some of the the two things, some of the plays, they make them roll from the like the goal line to goal line, like roll oh. all the way. And then another thing I've seen is them um, drag pop ups across the field. Oh, that's not fun. No, that is it's not fun. <laughs> Doug, what's the what's the worst punishment you've had to do in golf? <laughs> <laughs> not show up. <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, do you know? Do you know who texted me? What you would guess? <laughs> Hayden just texted Uh-oh. me. What did he say? Nah, he was just like, "Thanks for taking care of me yesterday." Because uh, because it was cold as shit, so I was just taking care of like him. Good guy. Yeah. What were, but, you, what were you doing? Were you get a hand warmers, Doug, or? Yeah, I had the hot hand, I had the hand warmers, and then he wore a glove, like a latex glove. Mm-hmm. Underneath. Yeah. Dude, that's the move. Yeah. So he that's had a latex how you keep glove. your hands warm. Yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> but, I didn't know about that trick until I got to college. And yeah. It was, it was a game changer for sure. Yeah. I got a, I had a question. Because I want to know from a coach's perspective, what makes like a player good? Because I know kids on our team that are so athletic, but they never play. And I don't know if it's them not knowing the plays or like technique or anything like. I I would say it's very position specific. Like there's definitely some guys that I'm on the offensive side of the ball. So there's definitely some guys that are just so athletic that it's like, hey, let's get this guy three or four touches a game. We have a kid specifically on our team. He plays corner, but he's by far our most athletic player on the field. Um, like a legit four or five kid. And it's just like, Hey, let's, he doesn't have to learn the whole playbook. Just give him four or five plays that he has to know. And we'll get him the ball four or five times. Mm-hmm. But if you play defense, like, and you don't know what you're doing on every call, it's pretty much impossible because a bust on defense can lead to a straight seven points. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you're playing receiver and you run the wrong route, like, you're fine. It's a big deal, but yeah. like, there's four other eligible receivers. Like, and you can live to die another down. So, I think it all kind of depends on position. I would say, for the most part, you have to know what you're doing a majority of the time, a large majority of the time. Number one, and number two, you have to be understanding of the game, which is a lot different when you know. Obviously, we're younger, mm-hmm. but like, understanding why we're calling dagger versus like just saying oh okay i run a 15 yard in 
Like, yes, you run a 15-yard in, but why are we calling this? While the guy inside of you has got the runoff, you have to stay behind him. Don't run in front of him. And then when he runs, there's going to be an open area. You basically stay there. If it's third and 12, you can run it at 15 still and still get the first. Like, mm-hmm. understanding where you are and why we're calling things is is definitely a lot harder to teach. But the kids that are good talent-wise and, and play a little bit more yeah. like in the offseason – you can definitely tell they understand the game a lot more than others. That makes sense. Like, because I remember when I first started, we had to do chains for practice. And I'm like, why the heck are we having to do chains? Just run the play. But it makes sense. Like, they look at the down marker and like where the sticks are and be like, okay, I'm running right on that or something like that. Same as defense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, football is a game. Everybody says football is a game of inches. I, I like to say football is a game of situations. Yeah, each situation is completely different from the last. So whether it's, you know, there's some correlation. I'm a big analytics guy. Like there's definitely one of the specific stats I look into is after first down, if they throw an incomplete pass is second down and 10, usually a runner, a pass. And you'd be shocked at how many teams lead lean run Mm -hmm. um, by like 70 or 80 percent just because they're trying to make third and manageable. Yeah. Um, So like there's things like that that correlate a little bit, but like your first and 10 play is completely separate than your second five play or whatever it ends up being. Yeah. And it's just a game of situation and understanding what situation you're in and, and what the other team's trying to do, you know, third and short, maybe they've run a, a few different variations of power a few times earlier in the game. Like maybe they'll run some play action off power. Okay. And if you can think about that ahead of time, like you're going to be gold. Yeah. I remember we played, it was Georgia Southern and the, the game before their quarterback threw for like 500 yards. So all week they were just rushing three. So covering all the backfield, they get here. They run the ball 10 times in the first drive to score. Oh my. And they're like, okay, fuck that. We're going to a forefront view, stack the box. And then once we're done, they did that. They start throwing, but I guess it's situational. They, you rush three. I have so much time in the pocket. I'm just going to, well, no one's rushing. Just block and let the running back go. Yeah, it, it's a big chess game. It's it's a big game of yeah. situations. And our head coach at Desert Mountain is the, he's, pro, he's the smartest football mind I've ever been around. He understands both sides of the ball and he's just amazing. And he's taught me a lot, but his, his main goal is do what you do best. Um, if they take you out of it, they might take you out of it, but, you play your game until you can't. So if their game, if their game's, you know, passing the ball for 500 yards, stick to that. And then if you see a three man front, just run like, but yeah. you stick to your game. Don't really change for anybody else. And and hopefully you can execute at a level in which leads to a victory. But I, I definitely think that you're right. It's a game of chess. You know, mm-hmm. if you do this, I'll do X, you do Y, I'll do Z. But for the most part, stick to what you're good at. And if you have to change, you have to, but you'd be, yeah. You'd be shocked at how many teams just say, well, if, if they do X in this game, we'll do Y. And, and it's really that easy for the most part. Yeah, then um, you said, like, defense, you have to know what's going on in defense because if one of them messes up, that's it. And that's what happened to us yesterday in the second quarter. Props to the quarterback as well. Our safety and corner got mixed up, and there was a free guy. One of them got behind them, and it was a touchdown. It was like 70-yard touchdown. But I give props to the quarterback for seeing that. Because imagine seeing like downfield and over the lineman 
and everyone like who's in your face? Sometimes you get lucky. We, so we, on Friday night, we had a few coverage busts. We probably busted three or four coverages, which is a lot more than we usually ever bust. And we got really lucky, but to your point, like if you'd be shocked at how many, like I hate when people post on Twitter, like, Oh, why didn't you throw this ball? And it's like a still image, like picture. And it's like, this guy's wide open. And it's just like, okay, well, if that guy's your fourth read and your first or second read are open, you're you're never going to get to number four. Like if they bust, Mm -hmm. like, shit, it kind of sucks. Like, obviously, we want the touchdown. But for the most part, you either get lucky and they bust to your first read and it's like, oh, easy touchdown, or they bust on the backside and you never really get to it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's certainly on defense, you kind of work in tandem with 10 other players. Offense, the only place you really do that is O-line. Some receiver, some route concepts, you kind of work together to – on a pick route or have somebody kind of screen for you a little bit, but on offense, it's a little more individualistic on defense. It's like, Hey, if number three runs under, you have to match them. If you don't, you got to pass them to this guy and take number two. So it's all, yeah. it's a lot more cohesive. So on defense, yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, you're screwing over at least seven other guys. Yes. On offense, Especially when the wide receivers, uh, like they get sent in motion to the other side. And you don't have oh, time yeah. to switch out. You're like, oh shit, you got him then. Or when they bunched up in a formation and they do all these like stupid routes, I was like, who's taking who? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different techniques for it, but I think there's a few ways. And I, I don't know if I'm gonna end up writing a book on it or not. But I, I always say, uh, if you can create complex simplicity as an offense, you're gonna be good. So if you can make it look complex to the defense, but super simple for you you're golden. If you can start and motion a guy all the way across the field and they have to switch their coverage. Yeah. If you can make everything look the same and all of a sudden it's not like you run outside zone a ton and then all of a sudden it's outside zone bootleg. You can use tempo, something very simple for you that you're, you force four, three or four defenders to have to communicate pre-snap the odds of them, the odds of one out of three kids screwing something up Mm -hmm. relatively high. I mean, yeah, you just need one kid to screw up and you that's it, because I know <clears throat> we have a like it's a it's a cold count, but it's a quick one. So we call it, and then all the offense looks to the side, and usually when that happens, all the defense don't get set, and they look to their side to see if they need any changes. Then we quickly look back, and you snap it, and everyone's not ready. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's a yeah. multitude of ways to do it. And when, when you get into college, it's a little different. They're a little well-coached, a little bit more well-coached mm-hmm. than high school. But high school, it's like half the time as an offensive guy, you're coaching against the defensive coordinator. You're coaching against the kids. Just make one of the kids screw up. Yeah. College, it, it's lesser so that that part. A lot of the college kids know a little bit better. As you said, like you're not playing yeah. any true freshman. But, yeah, if you can get one of those guys to screw up, whether it be on a hard count like you said or – yeah. I still think trick plays in college are probably the best time to run them. In high school, it doesn't work as well because you kind of know as an offensive guy what the defensive coordinator is trying to do. So you know what the kids are being taught, but half the time they don't really do that. Like if the defensive end is supposed to trail an outside zone play, but you run a reverse, half the time the kid just runs upfield and makes the play. Whereas in college, they kind of do what they're taught a little bit more, so it's a little more predictable as to what the defense will do to react. But 
Yeah, I, I agree. Just make things simple for you and complex for the defense, and for the most part, you'll you'll pan out pretty well. Yeah, that's uh, the Patriots coach Belichick. He has uh, that thing like do your job, and I'm like, you have to do your job and trust everyone else. Hundred percent. Because if you all like, right. all right, we had a QB spy, and their goal was like, don't rush the quarterback, just stay on him. And the right. one time you rush him. He's going to throw and you have a man down open downfield. Yep. And it's just like. Yeah, we, so our tight ends coach, Braden Bowman, he was a three or four year NFL tight end, um, bounced around from lots of practice squads and and just played in the USFL last year, actually for the generals. He's an awesome guy. He, uh, he always says, do your one eleventh. Like if you just split it up into fractions, you do your one eleventh. you do your one eleventh. Whatever team puts together the most 11 out of 11 plays is going to win for the yeah. most part. Yeah. But it really is a game of trust. You really have to trust that the guy next to you both knows what he's doing and, mm-hmm. and will actually execute. It's a, it's a big game of trust. It's a crazy team sport for sure. Yeah. Um, tell us about that, uh, that ebook you put together, right? The study. Oh yeah. So I put out, I put out a study uh, probably in August or September, maybe. Um, I just got really bored. I, I ended up going home for about a month in June. Um, so I live in Arizona now. I, I'm, I'm initially from Minnesota. And uh, I went home, so I didn't have football to coach or much football to watch as it was June. Um, had a few days off work, and I said, uh, I, I'm really interested in option football and kind of how it's evolved over the years. Um, so I kind of put together uh, like a free ebook. It's on my Twitter, at uh, Logan Radke, shameless plug there. Uh, it's just my pinned tweet. Uh, you can just download it. It's basically a 101 play compilation of how option football has really evolved and influenced the modern game. Um, and there's video clips in there and diagrams. And it's a, it's a pretty quick read for sure. Um, it's not definitely not too in-depth, um, but it was super fun to put together and and kind of funny. We, we ended up stealing a few plays out of it um, about a few weeks ago that we ran. And it's been kind of cool. Our JV coach would steal one play a week from the study and they hit like a 70 yard bomb on one of them. So it was, it was kind of cool to see it. I feel yeah. like you can get lost in that side of football as well. Cause you can just come up with different concepts. Oh, it's a blast. I mean, all in the grand scheme of things, we're so far into football in terms of longevity that nobody's really coming up with anything super new. I think football is very cyclical. Um, so as you can kind of see in the NFL, I think the stats this year, like yards per attempt is the lowest since like 1933 or some shit. Um, and the yards per carries the highest since 2013. Like as defenses have evolved to stop the pass with the breakout of Mahomes and Rogers and mm-hmm. Herbert and Allen, like they started going more too high and now running the ball is going to become far more efficient. And it's, it's very cyclical. Nothing's ever really new, but it wouldn't shock me if, I mean, even like Baltimore's running some old school option stuff from the 80s and 90s. Like mm-hmm. it, it all comes back. But yeah, you definitely can get lost. I I have spent far too much time probably watching film on the Eagles this year for my upcoming study. Um, but you're 100% right. Yeah. And especially now with the types of like quarterbacks we have where you don't know if they're going to run, throw it, or just like, I don't know. We had too many of those dual threat quarterbacks that can just run the ball and that would just kill us. It definitely equates the game. We at Desert Mountain, we have a kid who he's a legit 
D1 athlete, like probably runs a four, five, or six. He's our fastest kid on this on the field, more than likely. And he happens to be our quarterback. So it, it definitely leads it. He's probably one of the tougher kids in the state to defend. It's yeah, I mean, it definitely makes it tough. I mean, you're going to equate numbers in the run game for sure, but if you want to stick in too high or play one high to take away the quarterback run, you're giving up stuff on the outside. It's all a, all a chess game, like I said. You just got to do what you do best, and, and hopefully it's a game of matchups. That's all football is. I always say very, very, very rarely does the best team in the NFL playoffs end up actually winning the Super Bowl. It's all a game of matchups at that point. How's, a, how's your depth chart in high school? Is there a big drop-off? I mean, yeah. I mean, we probably have five or six legit D1 dudes. So the drop-off at those positions is is pretty steep. Um, what I would say is in high school, it's always going to be a bit steep because you're going to get the guys that are just going to go to a four-year college and be like finance students um, that just love football. But I, I would say we have probably 45 kids on a good day. So we're kind of smaller on, on that side, but you definitely have your dudes, but it, your mid tier level players, or maybe even your backups who play special teams play such a vital role in either spelling the, the star guys who, when they need to take a breather, we have a bunch of guys go both ways actually. Um, so that's obviously kind of, it takes a toll on some guys mm-hmm. by the third and fourth quarter. Um, but depth chart wise, yeah, we're probably only too deep, a legit too deep at a handful of positions. And after yeah. that, it's tough. Fair enough. Interesting. And then Logan, remind me, I can't remember. Like what got you into football coaching? Did you play football in high school? Um, and I know you went to did you go to North Dakota University or North Dakota State? I went to NDSU for a year and then I transferred to Duluth. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I played football in high school, but I was really a baseball guy. I really mm-hmm. loved baseball and the intricacies that it had. And I, I was, I would say a lot better at baseball. Um, so I ended up playing baseball year round through high school. So kind of put football on the back burner. I, I played a bit in high school, but I was really focused on baseball. Um, and then I got to probably my freshman year of college and I had kind of played football like throughout middle school and high school and I was kind of friends with some older guys um, and one of them actually coached and we had kind of screwed around in a dome a few times like when everybody would come home for Christmas break and we, we just kind of played together and, and he was like hey like you understand the game really well like you should coach and I was like ah like I was still in college I, I didn't really want to I kind of thought he was just pulling my leg and sure I kind of just fell in love with the game probably my freshman year of college and I just said hey like I really love this. Uh, that's when I started gambling on football as well, uh, <laughs> albeit illegally. Um, but uh, it was fun, and it kind of piqued my interest. And so every week I, I spent a lot more time on football than I really had ever had. Um, so I kind of fell in love with the game my freshman year and asked to kind of be a volunteer GA my sophomore year at Duluth and was all throughout and kind of just picked it up from there. I kind of applied to some football jobs and, met some cool people along the way and then tried to learn as much as I could and kind of led me here and it worked out really well in the end. Wow. That's phenomenal. Where do you think you want to take it from here? Is football coaching uh, a career you want to pursue at like a higher level? I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely some aspirations. I don't know if I'd really want to be a GA. Um, 
or graduate assistant um, in college for a college school. It's definitely something I thought of and it's piqued my interest. Um, I don't want to be a head coach. Uh, from what I can see, some our head coach kind of – it was kind of explained to me. When you're an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, like a position coach, you're dealing with other football guys. You're dealing with other position coaches, other coordinators. When you're the head coach, you're dealing with parents, administration, principals, superintendent. You're not dealing with football people. And I think that explanation to me has kind of stuck around, and I, I really don't think I want that. Um We'll see, I guess. I, I definitely think I plan on sticking around, at least with our, our head coach, for a good while. He's a, he's a cool guy. I feel pretty loyal to him um, just for kind of giving me my first shot. But if a GA spot opened up or if it made sense for me and, and my people, I, I think I'd probably take it. Um, not sure as to where or what would be next, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I'm still still young trying to figure shit out. There's two GA spots he opened <laughs> next year. Uh, God damn you, Doug. Look <laughs> um, friends right there. They're well, done. I mean, they're, they're leaving at the end of this year, so it's open. But I have no clue how those spots get hired because a lot of – I I think a lot of coaching is like who you know. Oh, that, that's yeah. all the industry is. What it's you know, all it is. Because you know. I, I know when Coach Ronnie came here, he brought all his guys, and I'm like, it's I don't think there was any like – uh, position posted online saying, "Hey, come be the defensive coordinator of the." Usually, bring your dudes with you. That's kind of how yeah. it goes. You kind of have your set guys, and then they bring their guys. And for the most part, I would say, like, and that's the shitty part. A lot of people don't don't realize, like, when a head coach gets fired, yeah, it affects the head coach, but there are so many assistants who mm-hmm. now have to look for a job, and their hope, and it sounds weird, but. Their hope is that head coach that just got fired they were working for gets hired somewhere else and he brings his old staff. Like that's kind of the hope. And it, it, it's really weird to think about, but um, kind of a funny story. My One of my buddies in college, um, he was from a neighboring town in high school, so I knew who he was. I knew his younger brother. I played baseball against him. His uncle is a scout for the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, he was there for Andy Reid. Um, so his first year, he was a scout. Uh, they fired the head coach and you, you fire pretty much everybody when you fire the head coach yeah. and they hired Andy Reed and he called Andy Reed. I don't know how he got his number. I don't know if he asked the, the GM or the owner called Andy Reed and said, Hey, I know I'm not your guy. I would love to be an Andy Reed guy if you'll keep me on. Um, and so I can learn under you. And, and he's been a scout ever since he actually got a super bowl ring with the chiefs not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one of the few stories I've heard where the guy was like, yeah, well, we'll keep you and, and we'll take you as, as kind of our guy. But a lot of the time it's, if a coach is fired, the staff is fired and then staffs kind of move together. So it, it is a bit weird in that sense. Yeah. I remember those rumors about our coach leaving. This was like at the start of the season, he'll, they'll, I think he got interviewed for the Colorado job. And when I heard that, I'm like, I want to go with him. Yeah. As you build that That's... loyalty, it's like crazy. I'm like, I want to work for him. I can't work for another coach. Because it's just, I don't know. It's a lot different. I, I thankfully have not been in that spot. There's there's two types of coaches. Coaches who have been fired and coaches who will be fired. Um, poaching, I guess, is kind of a part of that. Um, I'm pretty loyal to my guys. Well, I think if my guy left, I'd love to join him if he'd have me. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. It's a, lot, it's a lot different, especially when those rumors come up. And then you get people on edge like, oh, shit, like what am I going to do next? And yeah. football is such a week-to-week sport. You 
can't think about the future, whether it be, you know, new injuries come up or you're facing a team that might be a little bit better than you talent wise, you got to make up for it schematically. You, you can't think about the future. It's, it's a pretty now sport, but those situations I mean, are definitely tough. I mean, Lashi, Al, we lost the, we won the last game to make, uh, to be bowl eligible. And then the next yeah. day, our offensive coordinator got fired. And I'm like, oh, wow, no one's safe. No, nope. I'm, I'm <laughs> nobody's sure, ever safe. And I'm sure there's going to be some staff changes at the, the end of like the last game. I'm sure things will change because they always do. Yeah, like on the, yeah, on the, I think it's called Black Monday. I think that's the name for it. That might be really? the NFL name for it, but I think that's that's the NFL name for it. I think it's the Monday after the Super Bowl usually, or Monday after the regular season. Excuse me, for all of the playoff yeah. teams that didn't get in, um, the teams that didn't make the playoffs, I should say, a lot of them fire on that next Monday. So it's called Black Monday. I'm sure there's a similar name for it in college. Doug, hmm. so have the rumors of him going to the Colorado job died out, or have you heard anything? Oh yeah, they died out. I yeah, think sure. he's staying. He, there's no way he's going anyway. Yeah. Which is good because, I mean, that's another thing that's so tough in college is trying to build, I guess, your culture and your team. And that's where you want returners because they know everything. Because that's another thing. It's like you, you learn football, you know everything, but now your job is to coach kids to understand what you're seeing which I think that's where it's tough. Yeah. I mean, I would say like coaching is really as a profession, it's just teaching. Yeah. Like it's the same thing as me teaching you calculus or algebra, except I'm teaching you 11 on 11 football. Like it's a different subject, but I'm still teaching you. Now I'm teaching you, you know, certain techniques or certain schemes or what, what, whatever it ends up being. But at the end of the day, I'm still teaching. And and usually the people who can teach the best usually reign supreme. I would say Nick Saban. People say Nick Saban's the best teacher of defensive football ever. And you see, obviously, his success is wild. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It just – yeah, it just kind of sucks seeing people leave for other stuff. And, and then you got to replace them with, you know, younger guys who don't know as much, like you said. Yeah. The returners are huge. That's why – when you see college teams who graduate, like like Georgia, who graduates like 10 or 15 guys a year who go to the NFL, I'm always shocked at how well they can replace them. Yeah. Um, and then next year, they're still the one seed, and, and they're just amazing. And obviously, it's a great measure of how how good of a teacher Kirby Smart is, but I always just find it crazy how they can replace so much talent, and they're always just next guy up, and they're ready. It's recruiting. This uh, Texas A&M number one recruiting class. Yeah, I I <laughs> really that's kind of why I'm I don't love college football as much. Yeah, I mean, the talent disparity is crazy. It's kind of why I'm an NFL guy. Any given Sunday is really a thing. I don't really think it's as much of a thing in college football. No, um, like you'd never see a 34 point spread in the NFL. It just won't happen. Whereas in college, no. it's kind of a commonplace. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, recruiting definitely plays a large role in it. No doubt. Excuse me. All right, I got a question for you, Logan. This is like a Doug question, but I think I know the answer. But way back, what is it, two years, three or three years ago, before like pre Baker Mayfield Browns, when they were just like pitiful, like just god yeah. awful, right? And people were talking about like, you know, could Alabama like beat the Cleveland Browns? Do you remember that? Like seeing like people would maybe. I, I remember that when they were 0 17. Right. Yeah. And then people were like, do you think there's no way Alabama beats Cleveland Browns? 0 17 Cleveland Browns. 
right? Or what do you think? Uh, they would never beat them. I'd say you're probably looking at a 30 point spread. I think the biggest, the biggest talent disparity, and everybody, I remember that argument like, oh my God, like Alabama had three like first round receivers. Right. The people, the part that everybody forgets is you're then going to be asking 19, 20, 21 year old kids to block 28 year old men at the line of scrimmage. Like it just won't happen. Okay. Like, even on those shitty teams, like what what left tackle on Alabama is going to hold their own against Miles Garrett? Like yeah, it's no, just no, not going to happen. Like the Browns could run the ball forty times, average five yards a carry, and the game would be over. Like it, it wouldn't be close. Now, talent on the outside, at receiver, at corner, at D, that might be a little closer to similar. Right. But in terms of the raw, like the brute strength and physicality of NFL games, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't be even remotely close. Gotcha. Okay, that's what I was thinking because I guess like at the skill positions, like the really like star guys, like you said, the talent disparity is not as huge, but like the line is where it's going to make like the biggest difference where, yeah, like those college O-line guys that aren't even like going, some of them aren't even going pro, are not going to be able to block like, you know, like all pro or like literal like grown men at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean like, let's put it like this. Here's Here's a great. I guess, analogy. You look at receivers getting drafted in the first round. Like, a lot of them pan out, like, as rookies or second-year guys. Like, Justin, my guy, Justin Jefferson, unbelievable. <laughs> Stefan Diggs came in as a rookie. He was unbelievable. He was a fifth-round pick. Like, yeah. you look at some of these guys, like Devonta Smith, playing pretty well. Like, these skill position guys, not a ton changes in terms of physicality. So, they can kind of do their stuff, and, and hopefully it works well for them. Now, there's obviously first-round busts as well, but for the most part, there are definitely first round picks that at receiver or at corner that pan out really well. Very like if you have a rookie offensive lineman picked in the first round, your, your hopes are for him to be an average offensive lineman that first year. Like yeah. it's really all you can pray for. So like, and you're right, like across a five man O line, like Alabama might have two guys that end up being like low, like mortgage brokers or some shit. <laughs> like yeah, right. It just won't happen. Like <laughs> it, it wouldn't. The game wouldn't be very close. Fair enough. I figured, but I was just – I was curious. I've never thought about it like that in depth, I guess, about the line, so that, that definitely makes sense. Hmm. Uh, media, it, it'll get clicks. That's what they're going for. Yeah. I get it. Interesting. Um, Mike, do you know who just got activated last night? Oh, I saw this. Stone Smart, tight end, charges, oh. activated. Wow. He's he's playing – He's. Sh- I don't know if he's playing tonight, but he's going to be on the sideline dressed. He'll, be, he'll probably be a special teams guy. Yeah. I, I keep asking him for a jersey, and he said, I'll get you one once he changes out of the number 48. He <laughs> hates, he's like, it's an ugly number. And I'm like, all right, I'll hold you to it. Whenever you change a number, I need a jersey. He was like, yeah. That's funny. Oh, you should get him on the podcast. Yeah, well, he's busy now. I was going to say, maybe wait till off season. Yeah. There's no chance. Because, I mean, I see how hard, like, college guys work and i'm like there's no chance for anything like that in the nfl definitely i mean i, I think it's nice. that i actually tend to disagree with wait it's, it sounds very odd but in college like your whole day is like legitimately scripted yeah. like come lift at 6 a.m then you'll go eat breakfast then you go to class then you're gonna come you're gonna eat lunch then we're gonna have meetings then we're gonna you're gonna eat a second lunch then you're gonna have practice and you're gonna go to the it's all scripted like in the NFL, like 
yes, you have your like, like Wednesday is probably going to be your longest day in the office and you're going to go to practice and you have meetings and all this stuff. But in the NFL, like it's kind of like how I viewed high school versus college. Like when you're in high school, like you wake up at X time, you go to class for seven hours, you play football or baseball, whatever you do after school, you go home, you do your homework, eat dinner, go to bed. In college, it's like you have class from eight to nine. You kind of have a gap from nine to 11. Then you eat lunch and you have class again from noon 30 to three or whatever it ends up being. There's just a little bit more downtime. And I think that's how it is in the NFL because they trust uh, adults a little bit more than college kids. Yeah, I think that's what it ends up coming down to. But that's, it also with equipment, I have a buddy who's at the commanders working for equipment there. And I asked him like, how long are you there for? And he's like, not as long as I would think like in college. And I'm like, wow. Like it I see him go weird. home. It, it, I see him go home. I'm like, why are you home? It's like, oh, it's like, there's nothing to do. But in college, like <laughs> for the last 11 weeks, it's been eight to eight or eight to nine every day. Yeah. It, like the work-life balance in the NFL is a lot better, which sounds inverse of what you'd think it would be. Yeah. But. Like today I'm going in at one. We have so much stuff to do. Then we have practice at 640 tonight. That was a late practice. Good God. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just. Hmm. Well, hopefully there's a bowl game next year. Doug? Yeah. We can. We can How it. was that bowl game atmosphere? It was really good because all our fans, we had more like. We packed the whole bottom stance behind our bench. So it was really cool. But Tulsa just had, just, I don't know. We just got beat pretty bad. Yeah. That happens in bowl games from time to time. I mean, yeah, just the, uh, I always, I always say this every time we always play another team, I look at their team, I'm like, damn, those guys are huge. But then they yeah. probably say the same thing to us. But yeah, there's nice. definitely there's definitely games where you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. But Logan, so can you get us uh free tickets to the Desert Mountain Wolves games or yeah, I'll hook you up. Uh, our championship game is on December 9th if we end up making it. So if you can make your way down to Scottsdale, it's in uh in the ASU Sun Devils arena. So oh cool. I've been there. Yeah, we'll see. Very nice. I love I'll it. send you a stream link if we make it that far. Please do. Yeah. That'd be sweet. I do like that part, actually. Like Arizona, in terms of like high school football, because it's football is so big down here. Like they stream every game. It's so, like my grandparents who are too old to go to games. Like I don't want to say they can work a computer, but if I send them an email, they can click a link pretty much. <laughs> so they, they can kind of get by with it. Um, so they watch most games. And like my dad lives in Alaska. So he watches every game. And it makes it a lot easier uh, to kind of like follow for like my family outside of things. Wow. That's pretty cool. Damn. Definitely well, a lot easier than like Minnesota. Nobody really gave a shit. So nobody ever streamed them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now up here in New York are the high school I went to, we've gotten much better at high school football in the last like five or 10 years. We were like dreadful for like probably like 40, 50 years. We had won like the sectional title, which is just like our, just you know radius of like maybe 50 miles we hadn't won it since 1978 until oh until like 2000 i think eight 2019 18 or 19 
and we've been in the state championship game like twice in the last couple of years. Um, wow. They, yeah, they won the sectional title like five years in a row. So it's pretty interesting. But yeah, yeah. but we appreciate you coming on and sharing yeah. wealth of knowledge. And uh, Doug, we're glad you made it back. <laughs> oh my God, that was a pain. We didn't leave App State until like 8.30 and then it was like six and a half hours on the truck. Good God. And then we had to unload everything off the truck. Yeah, that the unloading part is the shitty part, especially after a loss. Uh, yeah. Away game losses are tough on the mind. Yeah, it is. And I'm just like, I'm not mad, but I'm just like, Depressed. Like, I, yeah, just I, I guess I'm mad at the loss, and I'm just like, like just so mad. I'm just moving trunks, and I just oh, it's a lot different when everybody on that six-hour ride's energetic and joyful, and like then you walk on after a loss, and it's just like it's it's one of the more depressing places you will find yourself. A football locker room or a football bus after a loss, and everybody sits there. It's completely silent, no smiles every anywhere. Everybody just sits there for the next X amount of hours and just sulks. That's uh, that's where like all the true emotions come out though. After a lot of percent, oh, there's been so many fights, not like arguments in the locker rooms. I'm just like, if we won, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, Simple. that's how it goes. I don't know if you saw. Did you did you end up seeing the like Buddha Baker clip for the Cardinals like two weeks ago, where he kind of like was literally crying in the locker room after their loss? No. No, oh, I was on Twitter. You might wow. have to go look it up. They did like an NFL films thing, like in the locker room, and yeah, ROC, his brother's on the PR team for for the Cards, and he's like, yeah, like Buda Baker just got in there and just like bawled his eyes out and just yelled at him like he's sick of losing, like this needs to change. Like he was getting super emotional and like after losses, like it's the yeah. raw, it's raw, it's really raw, no it's filter anywhere. Raw. It just whatever you're thinking goes out and. You you definitely hope you have a mature enough guys to understand like what happens within those lines like is a lot different than modern day life like on a Wednesday at noon, but some of those guys like it's just it's all coming out whoever they hurt or offend it they don't give a fuck. Yeah, and then usually the next day they're fine, but I our oh, coach yeah. she always says like it's like let this hurt, and then tomorrow we come back we do it all over again. It's like yep. what happened? What happens happens. Like, can't like after a loss, you like you can't change anything. Like, all we can do is just work and be better. Yep. All right, Doug, go get him. Go fire him up. Yeah, <laughs> I'll fire him up. Right. Thanks for having me on, boys. I'll uh, I'll be back on anytime you guys are willing to have me. Love it. We love it. Awesome.